Hi again, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you with yet another episode of Inside Curling. Kevin, you're back in Edmonton. Kevin Martin, of course, Warren Hanson are two World Curling Hall of Famers. Kevin, looks like old man winter has taken off, gone away. It's finally nice here <laughs> in Edmonton. We got warm weather, but we got tons to talk about. Did you drive from Toronto? Did you have to take a horse and buggy? <laughs> How'd you get back? Yeah, everything was delayed, of course, and uh, we got back in the house around 3.30 this morning, so made it home, which is always nice. Tons and tons to talk about on this show. Of course, the Princess Auto Players Championship is in the books, and uh, we've got a fantastic guest coming up. I'll give you a little little teaser. Uh, we want to thank all our sponsors. We appreciate them. Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of the Mailbag, and Coyote Tractor. Brings you hot rock topics. And of course, Goldline brings you In the House, which is our guest spot, which we have today. And Hearing Life are the new sponsors of What Are You Hearing? In the House today, coming up shortly, the new champion of the Princess Auto Players Championship. Her first Grand Slam win is going to join us shortly. It's Isabella Rana uh, from Sweden who took down a very tough team in a very exciting final. Uh, we're going to talk to her shortly. Uh, we've got our email segment, a uh, good one from Chase, and another very funny one you want to listen to. Kevin will give us a wrap on what happened in Toronto this week at the Players' Championship. Curling Canada. Warren was all excited, Kev, this morning. Got a hold of me. Jimmy boy, I think they're finally starting to listen to us. Okay? <laughs> Curling Canada is about to announce what I call the Warren Hansen Changes. Very interesting, and a lot there, and Warren's going to break that down for us. The World Seniors and World Mixed Doubles uh, gets underway in Korea. We're going to review what's going on there, Hot Rock Topics. Uh, we had some comments uh, this week in our Facebook group about when the curling season should end, if it should end at all. Kev, wouldn't you want it to play 12 months straight? <laughs> 12 every months week? a year, just keep going. <laughs> our poor athletes would be hobbling around like crazy. What we are hearing, we heard this week that uh, one of the all-time greats in curling left us, and we're going to review his contribution to curling over the years. Of course, Warren will have that for us. All right, let's get rolling. In the house, brought to you by Goldline. Goldline's curling's new impact broom maximizes performance for carry, hold, and carve. We're hearing a lot about carving. Learn more at goldlinecurling.com. we got another guest this week knocking at the door, Isabella Rana, come on in. Hi. Hi. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, uh, this is your first Grand Slam uh, victory. Uh, but Kevin and Warren and I were talking during the week. We came on for a special edition. And arguably, this is one of the toughest tournaments to win on the planet. Congratulations, 6 5 final over uh, Silvana Terenzoni. Um, give us how, an idea of how you're feeling and how you did it. The field is obviously great when it's the top 12 women's team in the world, but we found our form very early in the week. And I guess it's, it feels still unbelievable that we actually won. We have seen so many of our idols done this before, and I can't really believe we're up with them. So it feels amazing. Is it safe to say it's kind of a dream come true for you? Uh, yes, absolutely. We have been dreaming about a uh, big win for lots of years. So uh, it's a dream come true. Well, way to go. Congratulations again. Let's get right to it. And we'll start uh, with Kevin. Go ahead, Kev. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And after the final, Jimmy, uh, Isabel and I got to sit together in the lobby of the hotel for a couple seconds. And, and you mentioned, uh, Kevin, I, I don't know what it feels like yet. I can't comprehend it. So now you've traveled all the way back to Stockholm. You're at home. Now can you comprehend it? You're the player's champion. Yeah, it feels surreal and um, we're super happy and like happy with the performance and the result and everything that comes with winning a big trophy. So it was very fun. Our families met us at the airport. Yeah, it all, all sunk in when I met my dad and he was like, do you understand what you have done? Kind of. <laughs> that was really fun. You know, you'd mentioned when we were talking to each other, you said, uh, I had mentioned that it's quite a lot of money and you said we won a lot of money so what um i guess as a team and yourself um and, and you're at your age 
what are you going to do with it? <laughs> yeah, I think for, for us, it's uh, probably going to go much into curling as for, uh, for next season and uh, maybe take some bonuses out. But curling isn't as big in Sweden as it is in Canada. So it should for sure help us to fund our season uh, for next year to be able to play all the, the spiels we want to play. One more question, though. I'm going to pass it over to Warren. But you mentioned curling isn't as big in Sweden. But... But there's your team, there's Anna Hasselborg's team, there's Nicodine's team, and before that, your coach, uh, Sigerson, and then, of course, Pay Lindholm before, and then so on. It's not a huge curling crowd, but you keep winning all the time. i got to ask you, why is that? They're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also think that uh, when you see someone sweating, you can put yourself in the same spot and see, like, it's possible to go over to Canada and do well and do well at the Olympics and the world uh, world stage. And uh, we also have uh, the Swedish Curling Academy, uh, which I think helped Sweden a lot. It's a high school where you can uh, study curling besides your high school studies. And uh, I, I've been a student there and Nick D and Anna Haskenbari. Um, I also did some teaching there for a couple of years uh, before uh, full-time curling. So I think that's a part of it as well. But uh, just to see how Nicky D and Anna and Magan, Peja, everyone's done it before, kind of gives you inspiration that you can do it yourselves. Well, thanks for joining us, Isabella, and congratulations on that win. Fantastic. Your young team, I think you and third Imelda Duvall are 26, Maria Larson's 23, as is Linda Stenlund. You're pretty young to have meet the accomplishment that you have at the moment, how do you guys get that good? Are you curling full-time? Are you working, going to school? What else are you doing besides curling? I'm studying. Almeida is working. Maria and Linda are both studying as well. But besides all that, we're just playing curling. We try to find occupation to have besides so we can still do it, but still have time to play as much as we want to. So I guess we have just practiced a whole lot this year and uh, played as much curling as we possibly can to try to learn from the best and uh, gain some experience just to be able to get up to the top. So you're all living in the same area? Is it Stockholm where you're living? Yeah, we all live in Stockholm. So you're able to train together and uh, practice together on a, on a pretty regular basis. How much do you practice? Uh, usually we do five ice sessions per week and we Divided into like uh, technical practices and sometimes we just go out there to make shots and sometimes we play like games against each other or our club mates. We have a younger team and also Hasselborg in the club. So that's helpful. Yeah, so five times a week curling basically and then we do a lot of like physical training as well. So how many events are you going to plan on playing next year and where are those events going to be? Uh, how many Europe? How many North America? What's your plans? I think we're going to try to play all the Grand Slams as uh, this year and uh, probably going to have uh, a few more uh, in Canada as well. Try to get like uh, a two-week uh, competition route to Canada is always good for us. And uh, then again, we are going to play some events here in Europe as well. We're getting some bigger events here as well, so that's very nice. Yeah, so let's talk about mixed doubles. So Almeida, uh, of course, won a bronze in the Olympics uh, last year with Oscar and you play mixed doubles with your brother. Do you not with Rasmus? Yes. Uh, we play mis mixed doubles. So are you going to continue? Are both you and Amida going to continue down the mixed doubles route as well? I, I notice the lineup for the mixed doubles worlds. There's a, a new team from Sweden, Westman Alberg. Uh, were you guys in the playoff for mixed doubles and they won or how'd that all work? We all decided, both me and Almeida and uh, my brother and Oscar, uh, that we weren't going to play mixed doubles for the years after the Olympics. I can't answer for Almeida and Oscar, what they are doing, coming closer to the Olympics. And I don't really know for me and my brother as well, but hopefully we can uh, go for it closer to the Olympics. So uh, we haven't tried to qualify this year for the Worlds. So you think you're able to play both? Okay, that's uh, there's enough time that you can do that? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think you're still benefiting from playing uh, the four-team curling in mixed doubles. I think it's just a matter of how many curling competitions you get in. So you get lots of curling in the system. When you're 
at the elite level, I think it's uh, for both mixed doubles and the four men team, it all matters like the form uh, pretty much now. Uh, maybe in the future we will have more uh, expertise uh, teams uh, in uh, mixed doubles. But as for now, I think uh, you can do both. One quick question. I'll flip you back to Kevin. So I'm looking at the world seniors in Korea next week, and I see from Sweden the name Mats Rana. Is that a relative? Uh, yes, that's my dad. That's your dad. That's what I figured it probably was. Wow. Right? <laughs> you got quite the curling family. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. He's playing together with uh, Anna Hasselberg's dad as well. So uh, Yes, I saw that. I saw that uh, Michael Hasselberg was on the team. So that's that's quite interesting. Yeah. Well, let's get into that a little bit. I, I'd love to hear your your relationship with Anna because right now like you're you're definitely on the way up. There's there's absolutely no question about that. And Anna's really good. <laughs> but you both can't go to worlds and Olympics and you know, you can come to all the slams, both of you, but you can't do all those uh, national championship things. So I just want to know the relationship and how does it work when you've got two teams that are so good at fighting it out all the time? I guess we're enemies on the field and uh, outside of that, it's uh, we're good club mates and uh, we've been in the club for many years and the Swedish curling community is a small community. So we all know each other and our families play together and our moms practice together, so it's on good terms. <laughs> Holy man, take it easy. Just what Canada needs to hear when you say, well, we're not as big a nation as uh, Canada, and yet uh, you, <laughs> you're winning. You guys, your dad's going to the seniors. Fantastic stuff. Tell me this, Isabella. I can't imagine uh, going into that final of the Players' Championship when you're in your, your locker room before you walk out onto the ice and you guys all look at each other and say, Okay, we got to take on Silvana Terenzoni, who is four times in a row the world champion. Talk to us about what you were saying before you walked on the ice. Bring us inside that locker room and how you guys looked at this, your strategy, and how you approached it. I was trying to bring lots of confidence to my teammates before the game because I knew and I said to them, if you play like you have been this week, we will have good chances. So even though they are world champs, we had so uh, great statistics all week on all four positions. So uh, I tried to just uh, make them gain some confidence to go out there and play uh, just exactly as we have done the whole week. Luckily, we have played Terenzoni uh, many times um, these past couple of years. So I guess that maybe helped us a little bit as well, uh, that we're familiar with the team and uh, we know them pretty well. It's huge for uh, our new player, Linda. She's, um, this is her fifth slam and the first slam season. And she goes out there and just plays incredible. And the uh, same for Maria. They're pretty young. And I think they did a really good job uh, scouting the eyes and giving me the right times for my draws. And Almeida as well. She did an amazing job as well. So it was easy leading the team this game. And like we were nervous, but we were like, in the right spot of nervous and uh, still like trying to enjoy the moment. So it was uh, just a great feeling. And for uh, stra strategy wise, I think we just try to do what we have done all week, really go offense on their hammer and uh, try to create some on ours. So in the fourth end, you guys got a big three ender. And I mentioned on the broadcast that this is when young athletes, their minds can start to wander a bit. Think about the, uh, the trophy presentation, <laughs> maybe the money, uh, whatever the case may be. And in the fifth end, your team had quite a few misses in the fifth end. Yeah. It got quite, you could tell the nerves were out there. What did you do to be able to calm the waters? Because the rest of the game, you guys played very well. I think it helped that I uh, made my shots. That's a typical good thing for the rest of the team to uh, like kind of get into the same calmness. I had uh, a few talks with some of them, uh, like just do what you normally do and uh, keep the momentum going. And uh, I guess when sometimes you're gonna miss some shots, but uh, the most important one is that another player makes up for them, right? So, so I think uh, that's what we did in those ends when we were struggling. If someone did a half shot or a miss, uh, the next person just came and uh, made a good one. 
first of all, what are you studying at university? And I'm going to advise you that you should just give up your studies now and curl. <laughs> <laughs> I study uh, logistics and business management. So most like uh, logistics and uh, uh, how to get the shipment from here to there in like a strategic way. Oh, cool. Good for you. Tell me um, this. You had mentioned earlier. I mean, this is a dream come true for you to win this. This is, you know, it's like the, the biggest major in curling, one of the biggest, of course. When you, you've accomplished this at a very young age, you know, most people might never win that or ever win that. When you finally realized that you had won this event and who you beat, what did you think of right away? Can you give us that sort of first two minutes after you realized you just won the, you know, the biggest event of your life? Who did you think of and what were you thinking of right after? My first thought was like, yeah, this is so cool uh, because I've been watching the Grand Slams for uh, many years and uh, watching a lot of curling and seeing like my idols when I was younger and see that I get to hold the same trophy as them. And it's me now, like that was the first thoughts and it felt really cool to just be able to be in the same, like mentioning as those guys. It must be something for you to uh, maybe you haven't thought of it yet, but I, I certainly have when you won and I realized how young you were, that now you are going to be a mentor of many, many young curlers. And uh, are you ready for that? Uh, yeah, I hope so. When I was younger, I looked up to uh, other women in curling. So I think it's just great if we can be uh, inspirational for someone else. You absolutely are. Isabella uh, Rana, you're reigning uh, Princess Auto Players champion. Uh, way to go. Congratulations. And uh, boy, what a what a big victory. There's not many people who are beating Terranzoni these days. And uh, I'm sure you made your country very, very proud. And uh, you guys can be proud about that and just what you accomplished. And thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you and good luck. Thank you for having me. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music included with Prime. Uh, well, what an accomplishment. Uh, uh, unbelievable. She's only 26. Other member of the team's 23. Kind of like you, Kevin, when you were knocking people off at a young age. It certainly wasn't a fluke, right, Kevin? Oh, no, 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 no. This is not, not a fluke. No, um, she got to two semifinals in slams this year. She was knocking at the door to get to a final, made it to the final, and then just did fantastic. So there's a lot of hard work going on, you know, and these young athletes, yes, we're going to hear a lot from uh, Isabella Rano going forward. Uh, and, of course, we've seen her family and her brother play all the time. So they must be in the water in their house, and, boy, can she play. And the Hasselbork Rana seniors team. <laughs> you guys, yeah, it funny. even caught you guys off guard. It's like, what the hell? I saw the name. I saw Michael Hasselberg as a third. And I thought, hmm, I wonder, is that maybe her dad yeah. or maybe her brother? Or have to be her dad, I yeah. guess. So that's why I cautiously asked the question, are you related? And she started to smile like, okay. When you hear her talk, it's, it, it's, it's difficult to tell uh, sometimes when you interview people, but she's very low key, you know, kind of a, kind of a low reactor. Uh, you know, may, maybe you could, you can almost plain wood on her biorhythm there, how, how calm and cool and collected she is. Th that's got to bode well, Warren, for someone going forward. Oh, for sure. She's, uh, she's pretty, uh, she's pretty colorful on the ice. She's not quiet and, uh, certainly knows what she's doing and goes about her business in a very professional way. So she's a good one. Yeah, it did. It did, uh, kind of upset you. I was saying to her, so. When she goes, Sweden's not as big a hotbed as uh, Canada. You know, we don't take it uh, as big as you guys do. And she beat, she beat everyone. <laughs> and Nick is so good, of course. So anyway, thank you very much. And congratulations to uh, Isabella. Let's get to the mailbag. Brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fuel your day. We got a couple of them we want to get to. Here's the first one from Chase. Hey, fellas. Love the show and the deep dives into the great sport. After watching the worlds and seeing... Guju miss an open draw by eight feet. I have a question. Is it e easier to make a draw to the button at a world championship or at my local club? <laughs> he, ha he has the benefit of the best rocks, the best ice, the best sweepers. 
I have poorly matched rocks, wonky ice, and an inexperienced front end that can't judge a thing. No weight, no sweep, as well as the pros. So is it more impressive when I make a perfect draw or when he does? I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> That's an awesome email. <laughs> but you got to answer it, Kevin. Well, it's it's far more impressive, uh, Chase, when you make the draw. He has no question about that. There we the, go. Uh, yeah. You've got, you've got, yeah, Brad. When you've got EJ and Jeff sweeping, and they can drag the rock and dig a trench and whatever they need to do to make the shot. But you're right, Brad did miss that one draw by quite a lot. I don't know why it happens, and you know, Brad won't miss many draws in a whole season. And then all of a sudden you miss one and you kind of wonder why you did. But but ice, you know, is a little patchy too here and there. And there's always keen spots and spots that are a little heavier. And I love the word wonky. That's a great word for ice, wonky ice. Um, that's a, <laughs> we don't get a lot of that on the tour in the world championships anymore. But I come from a small town and I played on lots of wonky ice. So that's the way it goes. But anyway, yeah, thank you for your email. And uh I don't know what club you're from, though, Chase. You'll have to get back to us on email and let us know where this wonky place is. <laughs> this guy is going to blow it up next time he's at his club saying, they read my email, and Kevin Martin told me it's, it's tougher for me to draw to the button. <laughs> uh, we got another one here under the very funny. Okay, these are award-winning emails today. Hi, guys. After listening to your recent podcast, we here at the club all agree that sweeping has taken over too much control of the game. All that carving, knifing has replaced the technique, the precision, the art of throwing the rock. So we took it to a vote, and it was unanimous. Brooms should be banned from professional curling. <laughs> yes, banned in the place of what piece of equipment would be allowed to be used instead of brooms? Battery-powered leaf blowers. <laughs> I love this guy. Uh, signed, he says, the members of Possum Lodge. <laughs> Thanks for the wonderful and informative curling podcast. That's Greg from Olympia, Washington. Greg, you're smart. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Kev, what do you say, huh? Let's get rid of the, some brooms. The Possum Lodge Curling Club. We should be doing a podcast from that club sometime. I think, doesn't that sound like a good idea? We should do a podcast yeah. from Possum Lodge Curling Club. That'd be great. Because they get rid of brooms completely, that might be a tough sell. Especially for a guy who's in the, got a curling store. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. No more brooms at all? What the, what, the, what the heck? Oh, that's funny. That is. That's a good one. So, I mean, that's just down the road from me here in Olympia. So maybe we should do a show from there. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks a lot for your emails. We uh, Obviously, we read them each and every week, insidecurling at gmail.com. And we'll uh, perhaps read your email. Okay, what's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play. You've got to be 19 years old or over and you want to play responsibly. Sports Interaction. Uh, so the Players' Championship ended in Toronto this past weekend and we know all about it, but we're going to get a wrap. A new champion was crowned on the women's side, as you just heard. Great interview. Isabella Rana uh, beat Silvana Terenzoni. And Kevin Cooey, holy man. Last rock. Kevin Cooey down by two in the eighth end. Whoa. Whoa. Yep. Whoa. Can he make the yellows Whoa. go Carol. away? Carol. Close. Carol. And it comes. And he's yeah. out of the yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What a shot. Unbelievable. Brilliant shot by Kevin Cooey to score three and win. The Players' Championship. Back to back in the final end, Kev, of both games. Both games, yeah. Scores three. Unbelievable. And beats uh, Brad Guju, who I did not pick to win. <laughs> I remember that. And he also did the same thing against Schwaller uh, in the final. Kev, uh, give us your wrap. Well, the whole thing, I think, went really well. I uh, talked to a few people today as I was traveling and doing my thing. The crowds were pretty sparse for the weekdays, but definitely were better on the weekend, which is great to see. So lately, curling around the world have had pretty decent, I'd have to say pretty decent crowds on the weekends. Mm -hmm. the, uh, in Ottawa, the world's both weekends were good. 
in Toronto, and it looks real good going forward to the Champions Cup in Regina in early May. Uh, the ticket sales are through the roof. So curling looks like it's, it's doing fine, which is really exciting. Um, the Players' Championship... Is, it's my favorite. It always was. Um, as far as events go, players was always my favorite, other than playing in the Olympic Games. Like, I, I love the Olympics. I love being part of the Olympics in any way, shape, or form. But outside of that, the players was always my favorite. It was always the toughest to win. Kevin Cooey put on a show. Two down going home against Brad Guju. You could get two, but then you're probably not going to steal the extra. Usually, you're going to lose that game. And to pick up three against him is amazing. And then to get three against... Uh, Benoit Schwartz and, and Yannick Schwaller coming home, making a triple, and just getting by the guard by, by absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, it's just one of those funny situations where that'll be you know, we'll be talking about those two wins for years and years to come because it's just wild. I am mm-hmm. very happy for Brad Thiessen, um deciding to you know to take some time off, walk away from the game for family and and work reasons, and for him to be to be the last event he ever plays, the Players Champion. That is so cool. I'm really happy for him. I know Karik's really happy for him because him and Karik played uh, mm-hmm. together since they were kids. They've been front end together, so they're really close. So, you know, that, that was just a really big win for their team, for curling. It, it was a heck of a week at the players, which it usually is, and, and it was again. You better tell your son, Kev, to maybe slow down a little bit, okay? Dial it back. You don't want to take over the old man. It doesn't bode well sitting around the dining room table, okay, at home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, they're piling up the slams, aren't they? They're up to four, yeah. Warren, what do you say? What you, would you take away from the week? Well, a few observations. The first one I want to talk about is Tyler Tardy and watching him, particularly in those last two games, even before that, he's the real deal. I like the way he throws. I like his demeanor and the way he looks at things. And if you want to pick a curler that's going to be carrying the load for Canada down the road, I think he'd have to be one of the guys at the top of the pack. I, along with Kevin, glad to see Brad Thiessen go as a winner. Going to be interesting with that team to see Jacques Gauthier come in there, who is a skip, is now going to play second. Great player, another young guy like Tardy. Uh, maybe those two guys will fit together like a glove, and that team will just uh, rock it forward. Anyway, it was a great week for them. I thought on the men's side, Gushukui Dunstan appear to be the teams right now that are heading in the right direction. Crothers and Botcher both seem to have some issues. I'm sure they'll iron it out, particularly Crothers playing for the first time with Brad. But um, that will be a good team. On the women's side, probably not as clear-cut, I think, as the, as the men's. Einerson and Holman, of course, and Laws, they're right there. Jennifer Jones, not too sure. I think we're going to see some jockeying around a bit in the women's side of things come next fall. Because one more time in this particular slam, out of the final six teams, only one of them was Canadian. Meanwhile, on the men's side, three of them were. The Pinty's Cup... Kevin and I both got fooled on this one. We both thought, well, Gushu and Einerson, they're, they're in the running here. They're going to come out guns a-blazing to get into that final to, to grab the Pinty's Cup. But what we didn't realize was they didn't have to make it to the final. They just had to make it to the semifinal, which they both did. Both at that point in time captured the $75,000 prize and said, that's enough, and they didn't bother playing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they're the two Pinty Cups winner, winners. Um, it's the third time that Brad has won the uh, Pinty's Cup. So congratulations to both of them for for that accomplishment. On the, on the men's side, Aden came second, so he got 40000 And the release I saw said that Rana claimed the second prize money on the women's side, so she took away 80000 total. So great week for all of them. Yeah, fantastic week. Un- unbelievable week. Um, you, you know, Warren, I, did, I forgot to write down my picks. Good thing, Jim. Oh, no, don't tell me. Okay, so Kevin, we're going to skip this uh, particular feature. We're not going to do it today. Oh, just kidding. So, Jim. Uh, <laughs> I've never known you to be funny. I'm going, what What I do wrong? What I do wrong? <laughs> so I did this on the basis of there was four picks, so there's a total of four points. Okay. So, Jim, <clears throat> you got three out of four. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> On the women's side, well, you picked Anderson. That wasn't a good pick, but you picked Terenzoni, so she was in the final. On the men's side, you picked Cooey as the winner and Schwaller as the runner-up. So you, Shut up, you, fellas. You hit Woo! that right on the numbers. Warren <laughs> didn't do well at all. We won't even go into it except he got a zero. <laughs> 
Kevin got a zero on the women and a little confusion for Kevin on the on the men's side because the initial uh, pairing that we had was not correct. I had him down picking Gushu and Kui with the Gushu as the winner. So he got one. So Jim, you got three and Kevin got one and I got zero. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm crushing you guys. Crush, crush, crush. Hang on, I'm getting a phone call. Uh, oh, it's sports interaction. Jim, uh, we want to know what you think the odds are of the next year or two of curling events. Uh, no problem, fellas. Yeah, I'll get back to you. See what it proves you, Kevin. You don't have to do anything about curling to pick the winners and losers. Yeah. I think actually, instead of counseling, I, I think you should repeat all that, Warren. Okay, carry on. Next, Jim. <laughs> I knew Cooey and Schwaller would do that. I knew it. I looked into it. I did a lot of research on that. Uh, anyway, congratulations to all the... And congratulations, Jim, from all of us at Sports Interaction. You're welcome, fellas. You're welcome. Weren't some big news. Curling Canada made a big announcement today regarding the qualifying process for the 2025 trials, the playoff format, the structure of the Briars and the Scotties, and the playoffs for the Briars and the Scotties, and much more. Okay, Warren, I think you're happy about this. Take your time. Yeah, I think for the most part, what they did here is all going in the right direction. And I will try to uh, give the Coles Notes version of it as best I can. So let's start with the Briar and Scotties as to where they're heading next year. So it's going to stay at 18 teams in both cases. In the playoffs, no tiebreakers. So they're going to follow the suit of the World Federation that they were not going to use tiebreakers. They're going to have a new playoff system for both events. And uh, I like this. It's it's better certainly what they were doing. So in both cases at the end of the round, Robin, first place out of pool A will play second place out of pool B and vice versa. Those two winners will go straight to the page one versus two games. The losers of those two games will play the third place teams from each pool and then they will advance into the page playoff three versus four games. So that's certainly not better than what they had this year, and it gives those top teams a little bit of an opportunity to have a, a hiccup. So now as to how the teams are going to qualify, and this is going to be kind of a, a gradual process up to 2026, but by the time we get to 2026, in addition to the 14 provincial territorial champions in Team Canada, the top three teams in the Canadian team ranking system will be the wildcard teams, and that'll be determined at the end of the year. So as example, Next uh, two weeks from now, when the Champions Cup ends, whoever has the top three positions on CTRS rank at that point in time will be in a position to take those three wildcard positions. So that's quite a change. And I think the other really interesting one is those teams going that uh, route through the ranking system, if they choose not to follow the residency rules, they can go in that direction. However, if they do gamble and try to get there strictly by ranking and aren't a team that would uh, be eligible through the residency rules in any province, they would not be able to enter the Briar or Scotties. But that's going to be an option for them. So I I think it's a move in the right direction. The fact that these teams are going to know by uh, the end of the season who they are and can then plan the following year is exactly what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. And, of course, this is going to free up some spaces in some of these provinces that are multi-layered with top teams for some of these teams that are up and coming to have a chance to win the province. So I think all those moves are heading in the right direction. They also indicated that the wildcard teams, they have not declared at this point in time what they're going to be called. I think Alberta 1-2 or Manitoba 1-2 I think is probably a more appropriate way Yes, it could end up a situation, I suppose, where you could have four players from four different provinces, but you can simply say, put it in the name of the skip. So I think that whole thing is indicating moving in the right direction. The trials, interesting things here as well. The date for the trials will be November 20th to 25th, 2025. So a little bit later, help a bit. The trials will be eight teams. They will have a three-team playoff, but this is not some interesting one. In the playoff, two will play three and the winner will play one. But the playoff with the winner of two and three and one is going to be a best of three, which I found very interesting because that's quite a challenge from a broadcast point of view. And you can go back and think, well, in the NHL and the NBA, they they can have games scheduled for playoffs and they can cancel them. But they've got time. Even if it's the following day, if they know it, uh, 
know, nine o'clock on Sunday night that the game on Monday has been canceled. They've got time to be able to fill that three-hour spot. And in this situation, they're probably going to have about three hours. So be interesting to see how that's all going to shake down. As far as the teams eligible for the trials, again, eight teams. Basically, the Scotties and Briar winners for the next two years will get spots. They're going to have a pre-trials in October of 2025, which also have eight teams and one team, the winner of that pre-trials, will get a spot. So that's three of them. The other five spots are pretty much going to go on ranking without getting any details uh, between now and uh, the trials in 2025. That's quite a change. They indicated as well that the mixed doubles hasn't been uh, delved into yet, and there'll be a further announcement coming with regard to what they're going to do with all that. So what do you think of all that, Kevin? pick up anything there that you found interesting? Well, it's all interesting. Um, And most of it, I think, is a positive. They're moving in the right direction, which is great, less confusing, and more use of ranking so that the the top consistent teams, that's what we want when we we have teams go to the Worlds or especially to the Olympics. We want the best, most consistent team. You don't want a hot, cold type team. Boy, you could end up in seventh place in a hurry. So, So this is great to bring in mostly on ranking, and a uh, best two out of three. I, I agree with you. I don't know how you got that through broadcast, but if they did, that's great. Uh, even a better chance of us having our best representation, which is all, all you can want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask both of you, um, the, the best of three has never been heard of before. I, I certainly don't recall it, Warren, since we've come on air with Inside Curling. Do you think, Warren, uh, that these changes came about with the players putting pressure on Curling Canada? I think it's come from a lot of directions. Uh, I know they've had a lot of interviews and discussions with various parties uh, in the last couple of years. They've got David Murdoch in there now. Uh, So they've been talking about all this stuff for quite a while. We've been talking about, everybody's been talking about it. So there's been a lot of ideas thrown out there. And I think what they've done here is is sat down and picked up probably some of the best best points. It isn't perfect yet, but it's certainly uh, going in the right direction. So Kudos to them for for making some moves and starting to head where things need to be going. What about you, Kevin? Did you hear any movement afoot by players uh, who started the ball rolling on these changes? Well, I'm not sure about players. Or certainly uh, the new players group would be you know opinionated. <laughs> no question about that. I just think that maybe yeah they're just paying attention to all the different groups. Um, you know, there's definitely some squeaky wheels or at least one major squeaky wheel on this podcast. Um, and it's not me or you, Jimmy, but, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, but, but there's all kinds of voices coming in and I think it's important you listen to them and they, they have, and that's great. These are positive changes, which is terrific. And hopefully, uh, David Murdoch can continue to push the envelope and, and increase our chances of getting on that podium when it comes to world championships and Olympic play. Or what Warren, as you say, they've just been listening to, uh, our show. Jim, they've been listening to you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, they're going to listen now. I'll tell you what. <laughs> in that release, Warren, did they actually say thank you to Inside Curling? Was that part of it? I didn't see <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll mark that day when they thank Warren. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, Jim, that's enough. <laughs> but they should. They should, I'll tell you what. Uh, okay, let's, let's uh, bang along. We had a very interesting interview uh, with Isabella Ron at the start of the show, as you heard. And then we found out by surprise about the World Seniors and the World's Mixed Doubles, which will uh, get underway in Korea. Warren, her father and Hasselborg's father are on yeah. their way to the World <laughs> Seniors. On the same team. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that's, that's pretty funny. I mean, I was going through the lineup for the World Seniors and I saw this Swedish team, Matt Serrana and Michael Hasselberg. Well, I know Mike, Michael Hasselberg. Mm-hmm. And we're talking to Isabella today. I wonder, maybe, is that her father or her uncle? <laughs> Bingo, her father. So <laughs> that's going to be quite a team from the on the Swedish side of the seniors. And uh, while we're talking about the men's side, let's talk a little bit more. Uh, Canada's represented by Howard Rajala. Interesting Australian representative, Hugh Milliken, who was on the show with oh. us uh, last week. I find another interesting one out of Finland, uh, another old player from the World Championships back around 2005 and the Olympics. Yusi Yusisapo Pavolini is there from Finland. Great name. It is. It takes you a while to figure out how to say that name. I think I kind of did it right, but anyway. Yeah, it's good. It's got about 19 letters in it. 
Anyway, so there's the four teams on the men's side I look at uh, being potential contenders uh, in the world seniors. Uh, on the women's side, Sherry Anderson, Rivers in Canada, she won the championship in 2018 and 2019, so she'll be looking for uh, another title. And the one team I recognize that uh, we would probably all know is Scotland Jackie Lockhart, who did very well in World Women's Curling probably back about 15 years ago, and she's uh, there on the Scottish side, and I'm sure we'll give Sherry lots to deal with. So that'll all be concluded over in Korea, where Kevin's going to be on the 29th of April. The mixed doubles going on at the same time that Kevin will be broadcasting on. They have a group A and a group B with 10 teams in each. And again, six teams advancing. And I, I'm assuming it wasn't made clear, but it'll be the same type of playoff they used at the men, worlds, and women's. The teams, I think, to probably watch. Australia did very well in the Olympics. Same team, Dean Hewitt, Taha Gill. Canada, of course, is represented by Jennifer Jones and Brent Lang. And how could we ever forget Italy? Stefani Constantini and Mosh Masoner, mm. the gold medalist from the Olympics uh, just a year ago. Scotland, another team we've certainly heard of and seen before, Bruce Mowat and Jennifer Dodds. And another one, Switzerland, Yannick Swaller and Briar Herleman. And uh, on the USA side, the Corey and Corey team, Corey Dropkin, Corey Christensen, who is now Corey Thies, will be uh, the Americans' standard bearers and, again, could be uh, uh, a team to watch. As far as the Group A and Group B, <clears throat> Group A, I think, is probably the toughest. It has Scotland, Canada, Italy, and Australia in it. In Group B, Switzerland, USA, and teams that probably should be good, uh, Japan, Norway, and Sweden, but in all three cases, they're, they're teams that we haven't seen before. I'm not sure what happened to the Norwegian team, uh, Nettergrotten Skashlian, uh, of course, she did so well at the Women's Worlds, but uh, they're not in the in the World Mixed Doubles for some reason. So that's kind of a quick rundown. Kevin's going to be there covering it uh, blow by blow. Uh, how do you see it all, Kevin? Who do you think jumps out at you as being uh, the main contenders? Yeah, there's so much power there. Uh, Bruce Mallett, of course. Um, you've got to count, you know, he's got to have a little bit of rest. They weren't sharp, of course, at the players, but um, understandably, after winning the world, so you know there's lots of top players there. I think uh, Jennifer and, and Brent Lang are going to be tough um, as well. So there's going to be some depth, no question. One thing, one person we didn't talk about was Corey Dropkin and Corey Tisi, right? The U.S. pair yep. are uh, are going to be really tough. Corey Dropkin, an excellent sweeper, and loves make doubles every every bit as much as four person curling. So I'm really looking forward to it. Got a little bit of travel to be done to get my butt over there, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, go Canada, go. Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. Uh, we had some discussion this week about when the curling season should end. Some thought it should end with the World Men's Championship, but let's face it, the NHL Finals now go well into June, probably like the middle of June. Uh, so why does curling have to end in early April? Is the curling season too short, too long? What's the right length of time to have a curling season? Kevin, let's go to you first. What do you think? Yeah, you know what? This is a great discussion to have. I think that uh, depends on where you're from, Jimmy. They're in the U.S., it doesn't really ever stop. It kind of goes all year round and... Events in Europe start in August. We don't have a lot of action here until September, but you mm -hmm. can play if you want. But it's sort of done by the first week, the Champions Cup. First week of May is kind of it. And that's probably about right, I think, for the end of the season. I think people are sort of, they've had enough of it by then. Maybe it should even end, you know, the top event of the year, end it with the Players' Championship and then have that be the end. Right. Um, that might be the best way to do it going forward. But but starting a little earlier in the fall, I think, makes a lot of sense for teams training with Isabella Verano talking about, you know, we started early, we practiced hard, we played a lot, trying to get points so we could earn mm -hmm. our right into the into the Grand Slams and all of that. So, you know, starting in early August, even end of July, I think makes sense. And then ending it at the, at the Players' Championship, I think, makes a lot of sense, end of April kind of thing. That's perfect. Warren, you, uh, you think it should be longer, huh? Well, there's no reason 
why it can't be. And I think the fact that the, the length of season does create some problems. And, and where did the length of season come from in the first place? Well, you needed ice to curl and to have ice, you had to have winter. And so that's why we've had the schedule of kind of October to April has been in place for many, many years. But if Kevin mentioned, you go in the U.S., there's lots of facilities down there, and I always mention the one in Shaska. They have curling in place for pretty much 11 months of the year, and, and it's busy. And I see no reason why we couldn't have curling into uh, longer than it is. I'm not sure exactly. Maybe nine months is the right answer, but it would also allow facilities to to have staff that they could have full-time. They could generate more revenue, which right now these Clubs in Canada trying to operate these very expensive facilities on six, seven months of the year. And then they've got to find something else for that facility to be used for for the balance of the year, which is going to bring them in some revenue, but certainly not the the same amount as the curling end of it. And, of course, the bar staff, the restaurant staff, unless they've got a special arrangement, they they can only have them for for six months of the year. So I, I think there's nothing wrong with looking at extending the season. And I think if we can ever get a good competitive season going for maybe nine to 10 months, there's also going to be the interest there. So I'm a person who feels that there's no reason why curling has to be strictly a winter month sport. That's because you love curling. I love curling, Jim. (laughs) Uh, There we go for Hot Rock Topics. Next segment, What Are You Hearing? Brought to you by Hearing Life. If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at its center Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test. No referral needed. Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. Warren, you're going to fill us in on one of the grand old men of curling passed away this week as the curling world says goodbye to the man who was the oldest living Briar winning skip, Matt Baldwin. He was 96 years old. Baldwin won the Briar in Edmonton for Alberta way back in 1954. And then he repeated again in 57 and 58. Warren, you wrote a story about Baldwin uh, on our Facebook page, but you knew Matt. Tell us about him, Warren. Yes, I wrote quite a a lengthy piece. Matt Baldwin uh, is a man who had an enormous impact on the sport of curling. And I guess to some degree he had an impact on my participation in it because when I was just a kid, 10 years old, 11 years old, the 54 Briar was played in Edmonton. And uh, my parents were curlers. The final day they went, and I went with them in the old Edmund Gardens with 3,000 people in it. Matt Baldwin was about to win the Briar for Alberta. And in those days, people were just starting to slide. Ken Watson had introduced the slide, and they would slide out, uh, maybe out to the top of the rings a little bit beyond, but they were sliding on a, on a leather-soled shoe. They they couldn't get enough power to uh, to get themselves much farther, or most of them couldn't. I was watching the old 54 Briar film a couple of days ago, and I found it quite uh, fascinating that many of them were throwing from the hack still. So to slide from the hack with a rock was a, was a complete new idea. And Matt Baldwin had done it. He was doing it. Uh, and that was sliding down past the hog line, down two-thirds down the sheet of the ice. He'd done it before, but he'd never done it in a public uh, gathering with 3,000 people. So when he went to throw his last rock at that game against New Brunswick in the final round, which he had won the game. He was up about four points. The star, the crowd started chanting, slide, slide, slide. <laughs> Matt Baldwin was a very charismatic guy, and he stood up to the crowd and kind of motioned to them, of, cheer louder, and I will. And uh, so they cheered louder. So he got down in the hack, and uh, he slid down, crossed over the top of the house over the hog line about two-thirds of the way down the sheet which was as far as he could go on his leather sole shoe up in the toe and he shoved the rock and he shoved it right to the button and uh and the place went crazy and that was a very significant event because that changed the, the whole complex of the sport sport then matt ball was winning the briar at 27 he was the youngest skip then ever to win it but it was at a point in time where most of the skips that teams even playing in the Briar were in their 40s and some in their 50s. And all of a sudden, this young guy comes out and in the final stone wins the Briar and slides two-thirds down the sheet. It changed everything. And it gave the it gave the, the game the, the boost, the spark. You know, in Edmonton alone, there was in the next eight-year period or nine-year period, there was eight new curling facilities built in Edmonton alone. And the same thing sprung into the rest of Western Canada. 
He had a different team in 57 when he won the Briar, and again, another different team in 58. So he changed players all the time, but he won the Briar three times. Thought about quitting in 1959 because things weren't going well for him. And Matt went on to play, and I guess the other good fortune I had, when I started curling in Edmonton as a young man, um, I was playing against him. At the age of 23, with a guy by the name of Wayne McElroy skipping, we won an Edmonton City Briar birth, consul's birth for the first time. And the, the guy we beat to do it was Matt Baldwin. Matt Baldwin, at that point in time, the team he had probably wasn't a, as good a team as he'd, he'd had over the years. But I'll always remember how gracious he was to us after that game. And, of course, I played against him many times. Funny thing is, never played with him. A great guy, a, a great uh, asset to the game. Um, he was a great community guy in Edmonton, too. He was one time was the uh, a president, I believe, of the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, a great loss to uh, to curling and to the city of Edmonton and to sport overall with losing Matt Baldwin. And Kevin is a little younger, and probably I don't think you ever probably played against Matt. Uh, he was probably done by the time you were getting in there, but you certainly knew who he was without question. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I got to know Matt actually really well. I'd never played against him. No, I never saw him throw a rock, actually. Um, but for the last, like, he was always down in Palm Springs for forever, and we've been, Sean and I have been down there for almost 20 years now. So we got to know each other down there. And, uh, he was always, a, he, I think he had a lot to do with the Derrick uh, Golf and Curling Facility being built back in the day, I think. And uh, so he's always been a member there. So, so I oh, ran wow. across Matt at the club lots as well. So a great friend of mine for sure. And uh, yeah, you know, just a great legacy. Um, I had the great uh, chance uh, to be able to sit down with him and, and chat and he was still sharp, sharp, sharp. Yep. And I don't know how old he would have been at that time, 93, 94, and doing great. And uh, it was great to talk to him. But yeah, just one of, you know, one of those names uh, that is legendary in our, in our city and in our sport. And uh, yeah, condolences to the entire family for sure. Another thing that you, you unfortunately missed out on because you were down in the U.S. Uh, broadcasting with NBC, but in the 2017 Worlds was in Edmonton. The hosting group decided to get a, a player representative of probably all the Briar wins from Edmonton, probably from Matt Baldwin's day up until current. So um, Matt was there, and uh, he, of course, represented Matt Baldwin. Couldn't throw, so he threw. The, he held the broom. I was there representing Gervais because, of course, Hector has left us some time ago. Randy Furby was there representing his teams and Pat Ryan's teams, and Kevin would have been there, but unfortunately he couldn't be, so Mark Kennedy was there representing uh, his winning teams, and we were the official rock team. That, again, was an experience. I was looking at the photo here again last night of the four of us together after that uh, that official opening was done. So a great man for the sport of curling and uh, one that uh, made a, a great mark on the sport. Right on, boys. Uh, another good show in the books. Uh, by the way, I picked Cooey and Schwaller. Uh, we would also like to thank uh, Rod Paulson and his company and congratulate Jim for picking Cooey and Schwaller. In the house strategies, all the great work he does on our Facebook page and our Facebook group, and Jim picked Cooey and Schwaller. Uh, if you don't belong to the Facebook group, we invite you to join. Uh, we'd love to have you express what's on your mind, and Jim picked Cooey and Schwaller. Uh, as a reminder, again, send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com. Uh, and another note here that Jim picked Cooey and Schwaller. Thank you very much to <laughs> Sports Interaction, Coyote Boost, Hearing Life, Goldline. That's it. We're, okay, we're not doing any more picks. <laughs> <laughs> That's over. Okay. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you next week with another episode and a few more laughs. Keep sending us those emails. They were great this week. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, boys, take it easy. Have a good week. We'll talk to you later, Kevin. We'll see you more. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy. And did you pick Cooey and Swallow? I picked Cooey and Swallow. I missed that part. <laughs>